You're listening to Inward with Rabbi Joey Rosenfeld on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Joey as he guides us through the world and major works of Kabbalah, Hasidic masters, and Jewish philosophy, shedding light on the inner life of the soul. Okay, so tonight, Be'ezer Hashem, we're going to be continuing with our series on the inner world of addiction. And tonight's shir is going to be referred to as the wholeness of lack or the fullness of lack. Now last week, or really two weeks ago, when we introduced the type of neshama, the type of archetypal soul that finds itself stuck within the conditions of addiction or the potential towards addiction, were those souls that come from tohu, were those souls that come from chaos a place that expects more light than this world can actually contain within itself. And because these neshamos, these spirits that desire something so large, when they find themselves in the smallness of this worldly reality, they're left dissatisfied, desiring more. And last week, when we spoke about the difference between depression versus a broken heart, or depression versus melancholia, we said that these neshamos of tohu, these souls of chaos that have tasted a light at the initial experiences of their existence that they can't find in this world, they're going to walk around more sensitive to the fact that they're dissatisfied. That certain neshamos that come from a lofty space, the shayrush of the balshuva, that on a certain level is loftier than the tzaddik, the shorush of the individual who comes from tohu, from chaos, beyond and above the individual who comes from rectification and order, that these spirits are going to have like the Mitla Rebbe says in the name of his father who heard in the name of the Magad of Mezrich, a person cannot understand the secrets of Torah. Except the individual who has a melancholy in their spirit from their youth. And the Mitla Rebbe says in Yiddish it's referred to as a tzabrachenkeit, a brokenness, a brokenness of spirit, an awareness that things are not the way they're supposed to be. And the Mitla Rebbe says that this is what it means in Chazal and Maseches Chagiga when it says, Ein moisren moisren merkava ella libo doig bekirbo that you cannot convey the secrets of the chariot, you cannot convey the secrets of how God interacts with the world that is imperfect, how God takes this broken world that is lacking and utilizes it as his vehicle, his merkava, his chariot, to disclose a deeper level of unity, except somebody who has the anxiety of the heart, libo doig bekirbo, the anticipatory, unnameable, indistinguishable anxiety that attaches itself to whatever a person sees in front of them. Not a fear, not a practical fear, which attaches itself to a specific object, a specific event, a specific concept, therefore allowing us to actually prepare to react to it and take steps to move away from the path of that fear. But the anxiety, the libo doig bekirbo, is undefinable, it's unnameable. And therefore, when a person confronts this natural anxiety, 
which every person experiences, whether or not you're diagnosed with the, patholo the pathological form of anxiety, they start wondering about what their role is in this world. Why should it be that I live in a world where I'm so worried? And it's only when a person begins contemplating questions like that, that according to Hasidus, that a person actually has access to Pneumia Satora, that a person actually has the ability to break through the depths of the external and descend and penetrate into the internal to try and find a deeper level of experience, a deeper level of meaning. Now, in tonight's year, what we're going to be discussing is a new shlav, a new expression of this addicted spirit, of this potential towards addiction, of this soul of chaos, of our generation in general. The fact that addiction has become the primary sickness of our generation is not a statement that there are only particular individuals in our generation who suffer from addiction, but rather that the entire generation's nisayon is that of addiction. And simply because some people experience addiction lo aleinu to substances that take their lives very quickly and destroy their lives from the inside out and the outside in, doesn't mean that those of us who don't suffer from that abject form of addiction don't have a relationship with addiction. It simply means that we still live within the state of the potential towards addiction. And because of the privilege of our upbringings and the privilege of our circumstances, our addictions have remained within the realm of innocuous substances as opposed to substances that destroy. Substance, as we said in the first year, in the sense of substantiality. That our spirits, our souls, our generation is desiring something that allows us to feel substantial, that allows us to feel that there's ground to stand on. And if a person can't find that in ideas or relationships or professional expression or creativity, then lo aleinu, they'll find it in the deeper substances, capital S substance, the toxicity of the world. Now, what we're going to discuss this week is another expression, another experience in the spirit of this addicted sense, of the addicted soul, of the potential towards addiction. And before we introduce this concept, again, the animating theme behind all of these shirim is that in discussing the sickness, we're also touching upon the cure. That we're mamtik mar bimar, that we sweeten the bitter with the bitter. That hamtakas hadinim bisharasham, if you want to know how to sweeten severity, you have to elevate it to the root of severity. What the Baal Shem Tov and his students would refer to as elevating yira, fear, anxiety, to noira, to awesomeness, to wonder. That when I'm confounded by anxieties of the day to day, whether founded or unfounded, whether attached to some particular foreign fear of something that's mishamesha suba'a, something that's pending and impending and coming towards me, or whether it's something completely irrational, that's a fear that penetrates into my life and causes me to live with a pachad and a fear of how I should stand. If we want to work, if we want to understand how to elevate that anxiety, we have to elevate it to noira. We have to elevate it to the source of all fear which is the, wonder in it, the wonderment that we have when we behold the infinite. Famously, there was a psychologist who came to Rav Soloveitchik, and he says, B'chvod harav, I love the Yom Nura'im davening, but there's one pasuk that we should take out. We should take out the pasuk of B'chein tein aleinu, that please God, place upon us your fear. And the psychologist said to the Rav, he said, nowadays, pathologically speaking, generalized anxiety disorder, anxiety is the number one form of mental illness that affects individuals. So why are we davening that Hashem places fear upon us? We've come to a point that we're also worried, we're also broken, that it's not appropriate to ask for more fear. And the Rav answered him and he says, 
Adaraba, the opposite is true. Is not a question of requesting more anxiety, but it's the it's the sweetening of anxiety. Because all of a person's fears can be elevated when they direct that fear to that which is real, to that which is godly, to that which is divine. So when we daven to Hashem to give us fear of Hashem, fear of God, fear of that which is big, fear of meaning, what we're doing is we're taking our small and broken anxieties and we're elevating it back up to its root, thereby sweetening it. But when discussing symptomology, when discussing the condition itself, we're also touching upon the cure. Like the Ramban told us, the nes pesoch that in order to sweeten the bitter waters, Moshe Rabbeinu had to throw in a bitter tree. Or like we saw from the Balatanya last week in Parak Lamaralaf of Tanya, that from the forest itself comes the handle for the axe, that the cure for that which is disturbing a person comes from within the disturbance itself, that within the symptom itself is where the secret lies. And if we're willing to penetrate deeply into it enough to look at it and be mitmodeid with it without fear and hold our gaze there, then we can access promises of curative expression and experience that without descending into the depth of the condition, we would have never been able to understand. So tonight what I want to discuss is the fact that one of the constitutive elements of any addict, whether addicted to a particular substance that causes toxicity and God forbid the adject nature of addiction, or the potential towards addiction, which is an attachment to anything that is creating a sense of easiness in life and removing us from the midst of life. And that's craving. That unlike an individual who's hungry for something or thirsty for something or in need of something, the addict or the addicted generation experiences a different form of desire. And one can possibly say, a la Jacques Lacan, the French psychoanalyst who came to renew what Freud thought he was saying from the beginning, and Lacan's writings are very real when it comes to the question of addiction. And a lot of Lacan's thought animates everything that we spoke about in the shirim of Rav Kook and the shirim about the Leshem and definitely the shirim about addiction and Panemia Satora. That desire and yearning and craving is not some secondary symptom of the individual, but it's a primary experience. That as human beings, quo human beings, what we do is we desire something. We want something. Because our first emergence into the world of creation, into the world of being a human being, is one of separation, is one of nituk, is one of being cut away, tossed out, cast out of Gan Eden. When the individual with their immature psyche emerges from the mother's womb, what happens is there's a descent, a traumatic falling away from a, a space of plenitude, a space of self-sufficiency where we were fed and carried without any activity, without any action on our own, into a space of limitation and chaos, and most importantly of danger, where the individual now has to protect themselves. And the process of maturity from the state of infancy all the way through adulthood and maturity is one of coming to terms with this descent away from plenitude and fullness into a world of lack, into a world of deficiency, where that which we want is not at hand, where that which we feel we need very often is not near us. So that one of the constitutive experiences of the human being, quo human being, of the human condition, of the condition of the potential towards addiction, is one of feeling a lack, 
is one of feeling that we don't have what we need at the present moment, that there is something missing in my life. Now, for some people that can point with their finger and say, this is what it is. What I'm missing is a sense of comfort because of some capital T trauma, because of loss that took place early on, or because of specific fears. But for those of us and those individuals who don't have that specific place that they can root their loss in, the loss is ambiguous. There's something that we have lost by being born. What Otto Rank, the student of Sigmund Freud writes, it's the trauma of birth. It's the falling away of the plenitude and the safety of the womb, of that amniotic space where we're covered and we're saturated with warmth and we're supported both psychologically and physically into a space of independency, into a space of being forlorn and not knowing which way to turn, whether it's up or down or right or left. This is what the Zayar HaKadosh refers to as the scream that emerges from the mother, the wails that emerge from the mother at the moment of birth, which the Zohar HaKadosh describes as the scream of empathy for the child who now enters into a space of separation, of nituk, of being cut away from that primary plenitude. And so the experience of lack, the experience of not having something that we need, of desiring something more than what I have at this particular moment, is not some symptom amongst symptoms that the individual has to deal with, but according to Lakan and especially the tzaddikim of Ishbitz and Radzin and Rabbi Nachman and the Balasulam as well and the Orachayim HaKadosh as we're going to see, lack itself, chisaron itself, is constitutive of the human experience. It's not some accidental symptom that we feel that we need to get rid of, but it's part and parcel of what makes us human beings. I lack, therefore I am. I desire, therefore I am. That it's not a drive towards power that animates me, nor is it a drive towards pleasure, or a drive towards feeling united with my brother or my sister. But what it is, it's a drive towards desire, it's a drive towards wholeness. And all individuals, all human beings live, they walk this earth with lack. They walk this earth with their own particularized form of lack which is not a lack that is born out of loss, but it's a constitutive lack which constitutes our subjectivity. Who we are as human beings is how we lack. What is the particular thing that we feel we're missing in this world? What is the particular thing that we desire in this world? But as we said, for most people, that lack and that desire doesn't keep you up at night. It doesn't force you to contemplate the nature of reality. It doesn't force you to say, if God is infinite, if the cosmos of meaning are infinite, then why should I lack? So most people live their lives of quiet desperation, walking around with their particular lack, their particular craving, and they throw anything at it. They throw food, they throw money, they throw relationships, they throw arrogance, they throw cruelty, they throw wisdom, they throw piety at it, in the hopes of, overwhelming it, of saturing it, of stitching over it, pretending it doesn't exist, of repressing it. According to Freud and according to the earlier students of Freud, the primary repression, that original kernel of our symptoms upon which our subjectivity is formed, is the question of how do we deal with this particular lack that rests at the core of who we are. But when it comes to the nishamos of Oilamatohu, when it comes to the nishamos 
who experienced the Marirus and the Lev Nishbar and the Marashtaira Hativis Urav, and those individuals who, when they look at the world, they see that things are not the way they're supposed to be. When they see loss and they see pain, it's not enough for them to ignore it and pretend it doesn't exist. Suppression and repression don't work anymore. They're forced to be mitmoded with it. The Tchunas HaNefesh is one that sees brokenness and says, why is it like this? And what I've been claiming from the beginning of the Shirim, based on our tzaddikim and the writings of the psychologists and the theorists of the condition of addiction, is that the addict, for whatever reason, or the potential towards addiction, is more sensitive to the lack of the world, is more sensitive to the chor the, hashachor, the black hole that rests at the core of experience. And instead of being able to satisfy it with food and, and null and void things, the addict or the potential addict seeks a deeper level of satisfaction. They say, no, this lack is keeping me awake at night. The homeless individual who I see outside of my car is not simply an annoyance, but it calls into questions the deepest conditions of my theological or spiritual belief. A homeless individual who sits outside in the cold is not something that I seek to repress in the warmth of my own home. But the addict or the potential addict thinks about that homeless individual and they say, why should it be that there's lack in the world? Why should it be that such suffering is present? And when they find that the food and the drink and the business and the money and the relationships and the ego doesn't satisfy that lack, they're driven to find satisfaction in substances that maybe will hopefully satisfy that lack. And when it comes to addiction with a capital A, in terms of the symptomology of addiction as a diagnosable illness, the neurological condition of addiction, heroin, alcohol, any type of illicit substance and toxicity, what it does, where it captures a person, is that it provides an illusory sense of satisfaction. What it does, it says that I can fix your lack. I can make you feel whole again. And when a person tastes that, when a person who's been walking around their entire lives wondering what that empty missing piece in their souls is, when they taste something that provides sustenance and satisfaction, it doesn't matter how many people I'm hurting. It doesn't matter how many times somebody points out the stupidity and the danger of my behavior. Once I've tasted a taste of victory, once I've tasted a sense of satisfaction in a world that feels absolutely dissatisfied, a person is willing to run back to that in spite of all the negative consequences, lo alenu. So what constitutes the addict is the sense of lack, of desire, of wanting something, realizing that what I have right now is not enough, a sense of that empty space. And the individual looks at the world with eyes of temptation and eyes of desire. They look at the world and they ask the world, how can you satisfy this hole in me? How can you satisfy this chisaron, this originary chisaron, which is not a result of any loss, but a result of who I am as an individual? And most of the time, the answer is substances that provide illusory comfort for but a moment. And this, again, is the animating system of Alcoholics Anonymous. As we saw in the first shear, the letter Carl Jung wrote to Bill W. was profound. It said that what addicts and alcoholics want is not substance, is not the toxicity of getting high or getting drunk, but what they crave most is wholeness. 
What they crave is a sense of self-sufficiency. What they crave is a sense of being okay. And if I can't find that sense of wholeness in an organic way, through ideas and through spirituality and through acceptance, as we're going to see, I'm going to fight the rest of my life trying to draw it out of any substance, any toxicity that's willing to offer itself to me. Which is why Jung says that the equation in Latin is, is spiritus contra spirit. That if we want to understand how to fight against the desire and the craving for spirits of alcohol, we have to understand that what it is, it's a spiritual thirst. It's a craving for something that nothing in this world can satisfy. And the difference between the potential towards addiction and actual addiction in its diagnosable form is that the actual addict who lives with the symptomology of addiction as a neurobiological condition and a disease is someone who has found those toxic substances and said, this is good for me right now because otherwise I feel a pain, a lack that's too strong. That's where craving comes from. Craving is not a hunger for something. Craver, craving is an undying desire which tells the person, I cannot survive without that which satisfies my desire. I cannot continue with this craving, with this hole, with this yearning that sits at the core of who I am. That even when I'm sitting with all of the trappings of success, there's still something missing. What it is that's missing, the addict can't quite put their finger on it. Because in truth, it's lack itself. It's the concept of lack. It's not a specific lack. It's lack as a concept that I simply lack something. Rabbi Nachman of Breslov understood this condition very well, the pathological form of it. The pathological form of a desire that emanates from within the sense of lack, of this world not offering enough to me, of this world not giving me what I need, not giving other people what they need of a world that is deficient, of a world that is destitute, of a world that reminds us every moment of that place of plenitude that we fell away from, remembering that there's an origin where we felt okay and we don't know how to get back there. And the Torah captures this experience profoundly well. At the inception of human existence, we find ourselves in Gan Eden, the space of plenitude, this place of satisfaction, nullification of ego, no desire, not wanting, no attachments. And as a result of the human condition, we find ourselves pushed away, forced out, thrown away, traumatized through the, the descent away from the plenitude of the Garden of Eden into east of Eden, cast out of Eden. And we find ourselves there with the deep awareness of the human condition, which is that of craving which is that of desiring something that is not present. And the first manifestation of this is Cain. Cain, the son of Adam Arishan and Chava, who says, I need kinyanim, I need to attach myself to something. I need to acquire something to satisfy this desire. I need to buy something. I need to digest something. I need to ingest something. I need to crave something. I need to swallow something. I need to fress on something. I need to stuff myself with something in the hopes that I can quiet down this voice of chisarum that comes forth from within the recesses of my soul. And any time a person tries to re-enter into that space of the originary plenitude, wherein a person felt self-sufficient and satisfied with themselves, what we confront is the the rotating fiery swords in the hands of the cherub, 
which says to a person that at each moment there's a possibility of emerging back into Gan Eden, but you're blocked because you never know whether you can enter or not. We're blocked by doubt. We're blocked by, is this the moment that I can try and re-enter? No, is this the moment? Is this the moment? And we become overwhelmed by the doubt of whether we can enter back in, and we live with our craving. And lo aleinu, we spend most of our lives trying to satisfy that craving with ideas, with learning, with mitzvahs, with, with ego, with manipulation, with lies, with materiality. And Rabbi Nachman understands this deeply. And we're going to look at the final story in Rabbi Nachman's 13 tales. The Sipuri Maisios Meshanim Kadmonios. Tales of ancient days. When Rabbi Nachman says these are tales of ancient days, he does not mean ancient in the temporal sense. He does not mean that these are fairy tales that come from a place prior to our modern consciousness of dissatisfaction and desire. But he means that they come from a place so ancient within the self that it remembers the primary and the primordial satisfaction that we felt. That for Rabbi Nachman, these stories were an attempt to awaken that ancient place within each and every soul that finds satisfaction in spite of its lack, in spite of its deficiencies. Like Rabbi Nachman opens up the first, sta- the first tale, which is Avedas Bas Melech, lost, being pushed out beyond into a traumatic space of otherness, into the palace of the no good one, into a world which says that things are not good and not satisfying and broken and empty and craving. Rabbi Nachman says, Hayiti baderech. I was on the path, v'hitchalti l'saper sipurim, and I began to tell tales of ancient days. The kol misha shomea, and anyone who heard, hayalo hear her tshuva. Rabbi Nachman explicitly states to us, he says that I was on the path, I was walking the path of this world. I was walking the broken space of this world of dissatisfaction and craving and emptiness. And I started telling tales, I started trying to awaken that place within myself that can find satisfaction in this world in spite of my lack. Not only in spite of my lack, but daika specifically because I lack, I can be full, as we're going to see. And Rabbi Nachman says, Kol Anybody who hears these tales will have a hear her tshuva. A hear her tshuva. A hear her tshuva is nothing but a movement towards recovery. A movement beyond the false sense of satisfaction, of stuffing and silencing our craving with substances of materiality. And it awakens us to the realization that maybe, just maybe, in my lack itself, I can find my spirituality. And anybody who reads the stories of Rabbi Nachman understands the stories are animated by lack. The stories don't end. There's no closure in the stories. We don't know how things end off. Rabbi Nachman one time will say, it's not finished. One time he'll leave out an entire character of a story. Other times the stories are anticlimactic and dark. But this is not some depressive mode of storytelling or narrative giving. But Rabbi Nachman is teaching that when a person wants to access that ancient place within themselves of satisfaction, sometimes you have to be satisfied with the fact that there is no ending. Satisfied with the lack itself. Satisfied with the realization that we can never satisfy our desire. 
And when we come to that place, we can understand that our desire is what gives us life. That craving is what constitutes the individual. That lack is not some symptom of a failure or a fall or losing something, but lack in and of itself is what gives birth to subjectivity. It's what constitutes me as a human being. I lack, therefore I am. I crave, therefore I am. And as we saw from Jung in his letter to Bill W., the only difference between an addict and someone who's not an addict is someone who has redirected their craving towards a substance beyond this world, towards an infinite substance, towards a substantiality and a meaning that actually gives meaning. And the addict is on that path, deeply aware of that path, but they get stuck in the toxic substances themselves. Which is why the entire concept of recovery is directing your craving for a substance to a craving for a power greater than yourself. Taking your craving that you had for the toxicity and recognizing that what you're truly craving is infinity. What you're truly craving is something that you can't quite grasp. So on a certain level, and many theorists point this out, addiction itself is a true form of, of philosophical idolatry in the sense that we connect ourselves to measurable objects instead of directing ourselves to that which is beyond measure, that which is infinite, and that which is whole. And Rabbi Nachman's last tale of the seven beggars tells a story of two orphans who find themselves lost in the woods. A very apt description of our generation. A very apt description of the generation who finds themselves living within the condition of the potential towards addiction. No longer being able to look towards our parents or our parent generation to find comfort, sustenance, support, but finding ourselves in the dark trees of a forest, unaware of which way to turn. And in the moment of our hopelessness, in the moment of the orphan's hopelessness, they're rescued by beggars. They're rescued by derelicts. They're rescued by broken, sabrachin-kite people. People who are blind, who are deaf, who are limp, who are hunchback, who are crooked-necked, who have no hands and who have no feet. And the entire story of Rabbi Nachman's last story of the seven beggars, which on a certain level is the entire story of Rabbi Nachman's Torah, is to show that these people who appear to be lacking and deficient are in truth the one who understand the true secret of wholeness. They're the people who understand the true secret of what it means to be a ben Adam, to be a mensch in this world. And on the second day, when the beggars begin asking, the children get married, and we're going to spend more time on the last year on this story in particular, because this story of the seven beggars is the story of addiction, is the story of the human condition. But suffice it to say that these two orphans decide to get married and they get married in a pit covered in twigs and dirt in a destitute, abject state, one of acceptance of the human condition, not trying to escape or transcend the human condition, but to live in it and with it. And for the Shevarbachos, these seven beggars that help them out in the forest return. And on the second day, the deaf beggar returns. And the deaf beggar says to them, he says, you think that I live a bad life. You think that I suffer. You think that I'm in pain because I can't hear anything. And the deaf beggar says to them, he says, today I give you a blessing that you should be like me and that you should live a good life like I live because I have evidence and I have testimony that I live the best life possible, that I have tasted what it means to be satisfied. And Rabbi Nachman says, so what was this blessing of the deaf beggar? The deaf beggar says as follows, that you should live good life like me. 
כי בתחילה בירכתי אתכם בזה, because when you met me first, I blessed you with this. ואתה אני נושא לכם חיים טובים שלי, and now I'm giving it to you as a gift. במתנה גמורה. אתם סוברים שאני חרש. You think I'm deaf? You think I can't hear? אין אני חרש כלל, I'm not deaf at all. I can hear very well. רק שכל העולם כולו אינו עולה אצלי לכלום. The reason you think I'm deaf is because the entirety of this world is meaningless to me. It's not worth a dime to me. שאשמה החיסרון שלהם, that I should listen to the lack of this world. That I should listen to the krechs and the size of desire, of craving of this world. כל הקולוס, all voice, all speech, all desire, all singing, all conversation, all dialogue, as it emerges from within the individual who is craving something more, כולם הם מהחסרונוס, they all emerge from lack. כל אחד ואחד סייק על חסרונו. Each and every individual is crying and shrying and sighing about their own particular lack. And even the joy and the excitement in this world. They're only because of lack. That when a person is joyous, it means that they had a craving that was now satisfied. But had that craving not been satisfied, had that lack not been satisfied and filled, they would have been left suffering. The Etzli says this second beggar, the second Sadiq, this entire world is meaningless to me. It's not worth a dime. That I should feel the same pain that they feel, that I should listen to these cries that come from lack. Because I live a world without lack. I live a world of satisfaction. And I have a haskama. I have a letter of approbation that says that I truly live a world of satisfaction. When a person looks at the writings of Rabbi Nassan and the tzaddikim of Breslov on this story, the second beggar is not satisfied because he has everything. The second beggar is satisfied because he has come to terms to accept the lack in the world. And that's what we're going to speak on now. That this lack, this desire, this craving for something bigger and more, that the individual feels so deeply within themselves to the point that it pushes them forward into the condition of addiction, lo alenu, the answer to addiction is to recognize that the chisaron and the lack is not only part and parcel of my experience, but is constitutive to my spiritual and personal identity. That as a human being, the deepest aspect of my spirit is the fact that I desire and I lack something. And instead of letting this lack be seen through eyes of hunger and desire and craving, which seek to satisfy it, recovery and an awakening out of the broken state of addiction or the potential towards addiction is one that comes about by accepting lack by living with lack, by sitting with chisaron, by sitting with the sense that there's something missing here and realizing that that's not accidental, that's not some symptom of a trauma, but it's part and parcel of what makes me a human being. And on a certain level, I am expressing the divine 
sense within me when I experience lack. Because when you look at the Mikubalim, when you look at our tzaddikim describing the creation of the world, describing the reason for the creation of the world, what was it that animated this original autogenetic will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak, to create a space of otherness other than the infinite? And there are a number of answers, and we went through them in the Shirim of Rav Kook on the Leshem, but tonight we're going to be focusing on the answer that the Arizal gives in the beginning of Eitz Chaim and Shari Gulim V'yoshar. The reason is because God, so to speak, has all modes of expression and perfection within itself. But without the space of otherness, without the space of limitation, God doesn't have anybody to express these potentials towards. That God, so to speak, was lacking the ability to express his fullness. And because God was lacking, so to speak, the aspect of full expression, he created a space of separateness, brokenness, and otherness, so that there would be individuals who could receive those potential forms of expression that God has, so to speak, within the infinite potential of godliness. That the tzimtzum, that initial contraction, the Ramchal says a thousand times, was the emergence of the first chisaron, the primordial lack, the emergence of imperfection. Our entire world is built around the imperfection of godliness. That God contains within himself, so to speak, perfection and imperfection, fullness and lack. Our world and our experience is the expression of that divine lack, so to speak, that needs something, so to speak, that needs human effort, that needs human recognition, so to speak. We live in a world of lack. That's the primary condition of this world. We said last week in the name of the Katskarebi that there's nothing more whole than a broken heart because the broken heart allows a person to actually contemplate their lives. But based on what we're saying tonight, you can also say that there's nothing more broken than a whole heart. Somebody who feels satisfied in this world, somebody who feels like they have everything they need, that Aniba say there, I'm 100%, Maya Achuz, is a person who has never looked at themselves for a moment. Because anybody who looks at themselves understands that there's always desire. There's always a yearning and a craving for something more. The only question is, where do we direct that craving? Do we direct that craving towards wholeness, like Carl Jung wrote to Bill W., which serves as the initial foundation of Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12-step programs, which identify addiction as a spiritual condition as well as a mental condition? Or do we try and satisfy that craving and that desire with materiality, with toxicity, with a lowercase s substance? with something that will clog up that hole for but a moment, leaving me craving later on and needing to use more and more and more to the point that I destroy myself. Recovery on a certain level is the ability and the decision to be mitzmodeid with lack, to face it, to live with it, not to run away from it, not to try and suppress or repress it, not to stuff it with all sorts of poisonous activities or ideas or acts or whatever it might be but to live with it, to live in it, and to accept it as not a symptom of ourselves, but who we are as individuals. And when a person learns to accept lack, when a person learns to live with the lack, the lack is mahapech to fullness itself. That to be a functional human being means to desire something that is not present. And that desire is not meant to be satisfied. The craving is not meant to go away. 
A craving for wholeness can never be fully realized because we're not whole. Ernest Kurtz, one of the greatest theologians and thinkers of Alcoholics Anonymous or recovery thinking ever, wrote his PhD in Harvard University on the history of Alcoholics Anonymous, became a philosophy professor and a religion professor at the University of Chicago, passed away a few years ago. Ernie Kurtz wrote two fundamentally important books. One is called Not God, A History of Alcoholics Anonymous. The first half develops the history of the 12-step movement as it emerged out of the Oxford groups with Bill W. and Dr. Bob. And the second half, which is a profound experiment, is to try and locate the space of 12-step theology and spirituality within the climate of 19th and 20th century American thought, where the ideas are compared with philosophers like Levinas and Derrida and William James and the psychoanalysis of Freud and Jung. Now, the second book that Ernie Kurtz wrote was something called the spirituality of imperfection, the realization that recovery emerges out of that place where I recognize that my imperfection is not a deficiency or my deficiency is not a deficiency, but my deficiency is what gives me my wholeness. That it's daika, as Rabbi Nachman would say, in my imperfection that I find my perfection. It's daika in the lack itself that I find my fullness. It's specifically in my space as a creature who craves and lives with that craving for something more, for something beyond what I know, that I find my ability to reach beyond myself. The first step of Alcoholics Anonymous reads as follows. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, drugs, behaviors, whatever it might be, and that our lives have become unmanageable. Powerlessness, a concept that a lot of people in recovery and 12-step programs have a very difficult time with. Because when the addict or the alcoholic emerges and they finally find themselves in a recovery space, which is in and of itself miraculous, they feel broken and they feel powerless. And their question is, why do you need me to be more powerless now? I need power. I need the ability to move beyond myself. Powerlessness seems to be going the opposite direction. It's one of lack, it's one of inability. And the answer uh, uh, amongst many answers is that in powerlessness, the individual accepts their limited nature as a human being, quo human being. That simply as a result of being born and leaving the womb, I am imperfect. That is my condition. That is the starting point of recovery. Instead of fighting against imperfection, it's accepting and living with imperfection. And Kurtz points out that in the early years of Alcoholics Anonymous, when you go to the second and third step is that we've come to believe in a power greater than ourselves that can restore us to sanity, the higher power concept, the concept of transcendence, the concept that satisfaction can only come from something beyond this world. Kurt says that it's not about believing in a God. Recovery is not about believing in a God. You can recover and be an atheist and agnostic and despise any concept of godliness. He said the fundamental truth of recovery is that I am not God that I am a creature and as a result of being a creature, I am deficient. I lack something. And when I can acknowledge my lack, or as Lacan would say, I can acknowledge that there's a desire that can never be satisfied, that not only sits within my soul, but constitutes my soul and forms my soul, then I can learn to live a life of satisfaction, a satisfaction in desire itself, 
not a satisfaction that comes from my desires being satisfied, but a deeper level of satisfaction that comes from within desire itself. The Pasuk says, that Hashem will come and satisfy the Jewish people or the people of the world in a time of famine. And the way Hasidus and Kabbalah reads this Pasuk is that it's not that because of my hunger, God will come and satisfy my hunger, but it's that I will be satisfied with my hunger itself, that my desire and my craving will bring within itself satisfaction in and of itself. Because the fact that I crave and the fact that I lack and the fact that I feel a missing piece within myself tells me that I understand what it means to be a human being, what it means to be separate and apart from God. That no matter what, God is beyond this world. No matter how much perfection I can bring into my life, I will never quite become perfection because perfection is a a false concept. It's a lie. There's no concept of perfection. Perfection comes from elsewhere. We don't know of perfection. Even perfect is broken. And it's when we recognize the power of this craving that we're able to elevate our lack and we're able to recognize that our goal very often is to live with lack, is to be mitmoded with it, is to face it, is to gaze at it, and specifically in that place to accept the world as it is, to accept ourselves as we are, to learn the difference between that which we can't change and that which we can change to ask God to grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change and to change the things we can, and most importantly, the knowledge of the difference between the two of them. To live with the awareness that there are certain things that are unchangeable about the condition of the world, and I can't fight against that with substance and try and satisfy that desire, but I need to accept it and find myself within that desire, within my craving. The tzaddikim of of Ishbitz and Radzin and Lublin, Rav Tzadok HaKohen Lublin expresses this in a way that nobody else expresses in Rasisei Laila and Sitket Tzadik. But already in the Maharal, in the Maharal's Nesiv HaAvoda, the question of prayer, the question of tefillah, the question of davening, he asks a simple question. He says, what philosophical or theological role does davening play? Because it's not about changing the mind of God. Because axiomatically, when it comes to believing in an infinite and omniscient creator, there's no concept of a changing of mind. And there have been a number of answers, but the answer that the Maharal uses, which is based on Rav Yosef Albo in the Sefer HaIkarim, is that the role of tefillah is to force the individual to recognize that they are dependent on something greater than themselves. That they are alulim, that they are created creatures, that their creaturely status is constituted by the fact that they are not whole that they are missing something, that they are mechasrim, that they are chasar achas, that they cannot be whole, that the lack is not because I'm not good enough to become perfect, but because perfection is the realization that I will always be lacking. And the Maharal says that the entire activity of prayer and desire and yearning is to concrete within the individual's mind the fact that I'm imperfect and that's okay, that's how I'm meant to be, that's my main form of experience in this world. I just have to come to accept it. Rabbi Nachman says something remarkable. Rabbi Nachman says in Torah Peites, And you will lack a little bit from God. He says that it's known that all pain that we experience in this world, all chisaron, all lack that we experience, is symbolic of the lack that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has placed in this world. So when I feel myself lacking, when I feel myself craving for something, Instead of running to satisfy that desire and destroying myself, 
Rabbi Nachman says to acknowledge and think about and sit with the realization that my lack is Hashem's lack, that my lack is God's lack. That's the lack that God has placed in this world. That we as human beings and existence are the imperfection of godliness. To show that God can manifest in perfection as well as in perfection, like we shouted about in the Shirim of Reish Milin and the Leshem. The addict is just the full expression of that. That it is daika in our desire where we're most human. And the mistake is trying to satisfy that desire. The Balasulam, Rav Ashlag, spoke about this so much, more than any other tzaddik. For the Balasulam, the entirety of Kabbalah was to teach a person how to accept things, how to realize that we need to receive something from on high, that we're imperfect. That contrary to the Nietzsche notion of the drive towards power and the ubermensch who gets more strength and more vitality out of overcoming things and overcoming things that make them feel more perfect, recovery and the recovery mindset is the polar opposite. It's powerlessness. It's the drive towards powerlessness. It's the realization that we're not perfect. The Balosulam says as follows, and this is just one profound makor amongst many that describe this condition. This is a letter in Igros Koidesh of the Balasulam that he wrote in Warsaw. And he says to a student, with regards to the words of Torah that you're asking of me, it would have been good if you wrote to me what you were lacking without them. What were you craving without my Torah? Because you need to receive everything with love. And yes, of course, I'll send you this Divrei Torah, but he says you need to feel the love of Divrei Torah. And love cannot be felt except in the place of lack. Only when I desire something so deeply and I crave something so deeply do I have the ability to recognize that I really need this in my life. And he goes on to say that this is the gift of tefillah. The gift of tefillah is the ability to recognize our chisaron, to recognize that we're imperfect, to come in front of God as a broken hallelujah, that there's a crack in everything because that's where the light comes in. It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah because that's the best that we can offer. Kalim nishparim, God deals with broken vessels, not because that's a bidi evid, but because that's l'chadchila, that the recovering individual needs to understand that the world is not perfect and that's the perfection itself, that imperfection is the best that we can have. And instead of trying to satisfy that imperfection in a toxic way, we come to recognize that that's how I'm supposed to live. One of my favorite teachings, which had it not been written, I wouldn't be able to say it, I wouldn't believe that it existed, is from the Beis Yaakov. Like we said, so much of the theory here is based on the tzaddikim of Ishbitz and Radzin and Rabbi Nachman. But this makor in Beis Yaakov, Parshas Noyach Oistalid, is just so remarkable because it expresses in a quintessential way the condition of addiction. And we're entering into the Torah in the middle, after describing the role of tefillah as coming to terms with our lack. And that the better the tefillah, the more a person recognizes that they're lacking, to the point that the Zohar says that the deepest level of prayer, the deepest level of desire, is the tefillah li'ani kiatov, the destitute individual. The Beis Yaakov says as follows, umitamze shikor asr lehispalel. This is the reason that the intoxicated individual is not allowed to pray, because prayer is constituted based on the recognition of lack and the acceptance of lack as the condition of ourselves. Because the intoxicated individual, 
The individual who attempts to satisfy that chisaron in themselves through toxic, toxic elements of materiality and substantiality doesn't feel any lack. The heroin addict, the alcoholic, the individual who is high, the individual who has quieted down all the suffering of the world no longer feels any lack. And you can't pray in a place like that because prayer is dependent on the recognition of lack. Life is dependent on the acceptance of lack. As usual, brings a source text from Chazal and he reads into the unconscious of Chazal unlike anybody else. And Chazal says, That for the intoxicated individual, the entire world appears as if it is perfect. Appears as if it is a straight line. Appears as if there is no complex, nothing difficult. And that is the opposite of tefillah. The drunk individual says the world is good right now. The world is the way it's supposed to be. The world is the way that it's ideal. I'm still in that plenitude of Gan Eden. It's sheker, it's lies. The world is imperfect and that's the way Hashem wanted it. And the Beis Yaakov continues and he says, there's no room for prayer unless a person recognizes that they're lacking. And somebody who attaches themselves to the conditions of materiality and becomes intoxicated on the chitzonius of the world, like Rav Kook says, has no room for prayer. There's no room for davening. And to end, we're going to look at a profound makor, a profound space, where the Orachayim HaKadosh, one of the few who descend from the space of Kedusha, the neshama of the Messiah, the neshama of Mashiach, a redemptive soul, says something profound. Because when a person hears a class like this and a person says, okay, to be a recovering individual, to be an individual in this world means to live with lack, it can, God forbid, create in a person's mind that I should be and I should be broken, I should live unsatisfied. But the ideal is what the second beggar in Rabbi Nachman's story is. An individual who doesn't care about the lack because they realize that the lack is the way it's supposed to be. I don't listen to the cries of the lack because that lack is what gives me my hearing itself. That my chisaron, like Lacan would say, is what animates my soul. That constitutive lack, that constitutive desire. That if I came to a place of true satisfaction, I would cease to exist. I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't be a ben adam, I wouldn't be an individual. I would be addicted to substantiality. And so the Orachayim picks up on this question in the confrontation between Esav and Yaakov. After Esav says, Yeshli Rav, I have a lot, Yaakov says, and this is in Parshas Vayishach, in Bereshis, the 33rd parak, the 15th pasuk. He says that Yaakov comes and he says, Hashem has blessed me, Yeshli Kol. I have everything. And the Orachayim is trying to understand how in the world can our paradigmatic holy individual say that they have everything if the entire world is conditioned on a chisaron, if kedusha means acknowledgement of lack. And the Orachayim says as follows, when Yaakov Avinu says, yeshli kol, when he says, I have everything, what he means is that I have the concept of holiness, which is referred to as everything. So it's not that I have everything and I have no desire, but it's that I live with a spiritual sense of having everything, not that I have everything. And Nora Chaim says, in this Bechina, this concept, when it's grasped in the mind of the individual, the fact that I'm lacking everything doesn't make a difference. It doesn't affect me. It doesn't cause me craving. Nora Chaim is not saying that there's no lack. There's always lack. 
but he's saying that the lack doesn't disturb me anymore. Like the deaf beggar who says that the lack is what gives me my ears. Impossibly, the lack itself becomes fullness. The fullness of lack, the realization that I am lacking is where I experience the fullness. It's where I accept myself unconditionally. I don't need to be whole. I am okay in my deficiency because that's where Hashem wants me. And to end with, we're going to read from the big book on page 417. And I rarely do this because the big book is a very important book, but it's not gospel. God forbid it's not gospel, but there's some places where the big book captures the essence of the human condition in a way that is nearly prophetic. And the only thing is that when you hear the word alcoholism here, disseminated, it doesn't simply mean alcoholism, it means any form of addiction, it means any inability to be mitmodate or face lack. Acceptance is the answer to all of my problems today. The acceptance of this world with all of its deficiency. When I am disturbed, it is because I find, I find some person, place, or thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me. And I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it is supposed to be at this moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. Until I could accept my quote-unquote alcoholism, I could not stay sober. Unless I accept my life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as on what needs to be changed in me and in my attitudes. When a person learns to accept lack, they learn to accept that the best that we have in this world is one of acceptance, of accepting the fact that as creatures we will always be lacking, and instead of living with eyes of desire, living with eyes of satisfaction that come about through desire itself. This podcast is supported in part from a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Zusha. The audio engineer is David Kwan. For more from the Shefa Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.